In June 2022, the lower reaches of Occupation Road are swirling with such a thick mist that Daisy Meriden, Hornet Heaven's chief steward, can hardly see the face of the new arrival called Dave who's just materialised. She can hear the apprehension in his voice though. I'm really not looking forward to this. Oh, Daisy says sympathising. I ain't gonna lie babes, it's always a bit of a shock suddenly finding yourself in Hornet Heaven. But let's get you up Occupation Road to the atrium, Dave, for your induction, yeah? You'll love meeting everyone. That's what I'm worried about, meeting everyone. Why though, babes? The people up here are oh. really... God, who's that coming towards us? What? Oh, that's probably just... Dave? Where are you going, Dave? Why are you getting in them... bushes? Hornet Heaven Never Meet Your Heroes Written by Ollie Wicken Read by Colin Mace Earth Year 2022 Two minutes later, Dave climbs back out of the bushes. He starts to walk with Daisy towards the eternal sunshine of Hornet Heaven at the upper end of Occupation Road. She asks him, You all right, Dave? What was all that about? Sorry, it's it's just a thing with me. <laughs> in that case, you'll fit in fine up here. Henry Grover has got lots of things, or fetishes as I'd call them. So, um, you've got, um... What is it, Dave? Uh, a bush fetish? What? You! That sounds... No! I was hiding because I thought I saw Ken Furphy. My thing is avoiding my heroes. I don't want to meet them. Ever. Okay. At least that's not quite so weird, babes. It's gonna make things difficult, though. Exactly. There's bound to be heroes of mine everywhere in Hornet Heaven. Tons of them. How am I going to avoid them? Daisy stops walking. Fair point, babes. Okay, let's not go to the atrium just yet. Let's go to a place where it's just supporters and we can try and work out what's going to be the best way forward for you. Alright, but I'm telling you, if I so much as lay my eyes on Duncan Wellborn, I'm doing a runner. Dave follows Daisy to the 1881 bunker behind the rookery stand. She's nothing like a normal steward at Watford, he thinks to himself, because she hasn't pointlessly frisked him. She's actually trying to take care of his needs. Inside the bunker, Dave glances around. He likes it. It's got the vibe of a good old fan's den, and he can't see red velvet ropes marking out a VIP area for players or anything, so he feels safe. They sit down on high stools at one of the tall circular tables and Dave starts to explain to Daisy why he's always avoided meeting footballers. I've always believed in the saying, never meet your heroes, they always disappoint. Down on earth, Dave's mates used to give him stick for this negative attitude when he refused to go to tales from the vicarage shows or player reunion events. He expects Daisy will try and talk him out of it too. Oh... I bet you've had loads of heroes over the years. Who's your biggest... Oh, 
Oh, well, that's easy. Cliff Holton. The first time I watched him, I was only nine. The big fella was like a god to me. That's why I'd never want to meet him. I don't want to find out he's only human. You won't, Dave. He's only plasma in Hornet Heaven. You get what I'm saying, though? I don't want to find out what my heroes are like as people. It'll break the spell. Dave sees a series of framed shirts on the wall of the bunker. For every single shirt, he can remember a player he idolised wearing it. It's a disaster, I'm in Hornet Heaven. I want to worship players from afar, not be stuck in a whole bloody community of them. But they're really nice people, Dave. That's exactly the problem. Nice is no good to me. I can't use heroes who are nice. They've got to be heroic. All I know about them is the way they play football. And that's all I want to know. I don't want to hear them speak. I don't want to find out what they're like off the pitch. It'll ruin everything I've ever felt about them. Daisy pats Dave on the hand. Don't worry, babes. I'm sure we can work something out for you. Look, I'm going to go and have a quick chat with someone else to see if they've got any suggestions. Will you be okay if I leave you here for a bit? Well, uh, not if Cliff Holton walks in, I won't. Or Freddie Bunce or Jimmy Linton. Not anyone from the 1959-60 team. This place is a hangout for fans, Dave. I'm sure you'll be fine. I'll see you in a bit. Dave watches Daisy go. Then he takes a wander around the place, looking at the Watford memorabilia. He loves the fans' artwork on display. The bunker feels like it will be a great place to while away the hours between matches. When he's near the bar, he overhears someone telling a story to a handful of other people. He listens in. Anyway, we're in the pub in the town centre drinking before the match, and I suddenly realised there were only ten minutes until kick-off. <laughs> but dear old Bertie was half comatose from all the ale we'd taken. He had his head on the table. <laughs> I said to him, oh, oh, Bertie, it's time to go, but he just groaned. <laughs> so I lifted him up and said, You're not crying off. We're going to throw up in the churchyard and go and get changed into our kit. And that's what we did. Bertie scored three, I scored two, and Watford won 13-0. That's the way we rolled back in 1903. Dave frowns. So this is a former player, not a fan. He shakes his head. This is the problem in a nutshell, he tells himself. The guy is probably a Watford great. But all he's got left is dodgy anecdotes he'd have told a million times before. I say, you over there, come and sit down. My name's Harry Barton from Johnny Allgood's title-winning team of Invincibles. Dave hasn't heard of Harry Barton before, which is just as well, he reckons. Come on, come and hear my tales of life as a feckless and dissolute professional footballer in the Edwardian era. <laughs> Come and hear how Watford players like myself and Bertie Banks were swashbuckling free spirits who drank like lords and played like gods. The more Harry Barton speaks, the less Dave wants to know. Come and listen, and I'll tell you the secret of how inveterate party girls like Bertie and me managed to enjoy several glasses of something cheerful before kick-off and still scored more than a hundred goals between us during the 1903-1904 season. 
The secret was to remain conscious. <laughs> no thanks, mate. I'm good, thanks. Oh, well, more fool you. Now, the rest of you. Did you ever hear about the time Bertie and I were hauled into the gaffer's office the morning after we'd been found swimming naked in a pond at three in the morning? <laughs> Johnny Allgood said, For God's sake, Barton, what were you doing? <laughs> and I said, Doggy paddle! Dave makes his way back to the table to wait for Daisy there. An old man says to him, I used to worship that Harry Burton when I was a lad down on earth. He scored ten goals in his first three games for Watford, including an hat-trick and a double hat-trick. I had no idea about the drinking when I was a kid. Meeting him up here has ruined my old childhood. Dave pats the old man on the back in sympathy. Then he sits down at the table again. He can still hear Harry Barton from over by the bar, though. Then there was the absolutely roaring night out we had after I scored seven against South West Ham. <laughs> I remember the barman tried to close the pub and said, You'll be having no more. But Bertie and I said, No, we'll be having much more. And I wrote the landlord a cheque to buy the pub so we could carry on. Or at least I think that's what I remember. <laughs> Bertie and I were very, very drunk. Dave decides to leave. He'll wait for Daisy outside. <laughs> very, very, very drunk. Dave makes his way to the exit. He keeps his eyes down to make sure he doesn't see any more Watford heroes. Hornet Heaven's going to be a nightmare, he tells himself. If there are players in the fans' bunker, nowhere's going to be safe. Meanwhile, Daisy has gone to the Troy Deeney atrium in search of advice about how to help settle Dave into his new afterlife. She's looking for a man with an excellent track record of solving problems in Hornet Heaven, Bill Mainwood. Unfortunately, she finds Henry Grover instead. She tells Henry about the new arrival, Dave, and his attitude towards meeting footballers. The father of the club says, Ha! That's a very straightforward one to fix, Daisy. You can easily prove to Dave that heroes aren't disappointing, simply by introducing him to a hero who's impressive in every possible way. I can go and see him now, if you like. Daisy can't quite tell whether Henry's joking or not. I have all the credentials, Daisy. I founded the club in 1881. I'm beautifully spoken, and I definitely know how to dress to impress. Hmm... If Dave's favourite season was 1959-1960, I could wear my teddy boy outfit. <laughs> it's a doozy, velvet-collared jacket, drain pipes and brothel creepers. And to really impress him, I could style my hair into a duck's ass. Daisy thanks Henry and says she'll get back to him. In a way, his suggestion has been useful. If only for making it clear that she needs to keep Dave a very long way away from Henry. She hasn't made any progress in solving the problem, though. For now, she's just going to have to make sure Dave hangs out in places where he won't meet any former players. A few minutes later, at Daisy's suggestion, Dave goes through the ancient turnstiles river to watch an old Watford game from his first season as a fan. Daisy says to him, Not a lot of people come to this game. 
You'll be safe here while we work out how to settle you properly into Walnut Heaven. But when he sees where they are, Dave isn't thinking about his safety. He's too awestruck. He's at Vicarage Road, back at the first big FA Cup tie he ever went to as a boy. It's the third round game at home to Birmingham City in January 1960. There are more than 31,000 people packed into the ground. The atmosphere is incredible. It's amazing to be back here. As Watford run out wearing the club's 1959-60 kit of gold and black, Dave feels overwhelmed by a wonderful nostalgia. This is his childhood right here. Maybe his memories aren't going to be ruined after all, he thinks. Maybe they've been perfectly preserved for all time in Hornet Heaven. Dave focuses on Cliff Holton leading the team out. The hulking frame and smart dark hair trigger a long-lost memory. As a boy, Dave drew a portrait of Cliff with coloured chalks on textured paper and got his mum to frame it and put it up on the wall of his bedroom. What he felt for his hero was nothing short of love. And here at this old game as the match kicks off, Dave feels his heart swelling again. The big fella and the rest of the team are exactly as they've always been in Dave's mind's eye. They're not fully rounded people like Harry Barton with his drinking problem and boorish personality. They're simply a team of professional sportsmen in their prime. They're the way they were and can always be, Dave thinks, just as long as he doesn't bump into any of them. He says to Daisy, this is the answer to my problem. I can spend the rest of eternity at old games like this. You might get a bit lonely, babes. Wouldn't you want to be a bit more sociable? Or maybe I should never leave this game. It was brilliant. I'm not sure that's Big the best. Cliff's about to score. What he said was his best ever goal for Watford. It wasn't on TV or anything, so I never saw it again. This is going to be amazing. 14 minutes later, Dave watches the big fella put 4th Division Watford 2-0 up against 1st Division Birmingham. It's a fierce half volley on a turn, a mixture of finesse and brute power. Somehow, the net doesn't burst. That was even better than I remember. Look at him, Daisy. So fast, so strong. What an absolute god the big fella was. When the final whistle blows and Cliff Holton has led Watford to victory over top-flight opponents for the first time in the club's history, Dave says, That was amazing, Daisy. I don't want to leave. Seriously, I want to stay here at this game forever. <laughs> That's not going to work, Dave. You'll get so bored. But going to other games will mean going back into the main part of Hornet Heaven to get another programme. And I might bump into one of the heroes I've just seen, like George Catlow or someone. But that would be great. George is lovely. Don't tell me that. George is the hardest tackler I've ever seen. I want to think of him that way, forever. I don't want to know he's lovely. Look, I can't risk meeting anyone, so how can we make this work? Sorry, babes, I don't know. I haven't come up with anything yet. I've got a lot on my plate. There must be some way. Well, uh, I suppose if you wait outside the ancient turnstiles with your eyes closed... I could bring you a programme to another old game and we could just keep doing that every 90 minutes for the rest of all time. Really? You'd do that for me? No, babes. Daisy leaves Dave by the ancient turnstiles, hopefully not with his eyes closed because that would look stupid, so she can try to come up with a proper plan for making him happy in Hornet Heaven. When she gets back to the Troy Deeney atrium, she has an idea, and it's definitely an improvement on Henry Grover's previous suggestion. It'll involve a little bit of trickery, though. Daisy gets the idea when she sees Dave's all-time hero, Cliff Holton, 
sitting on the yellow leather sofas in his usual dark suit and tie. He happens to be with another Watford legend, the greatest goalkeeper in Hornet heaven, Skilly Williams. Daisy goes over to the big fella. She's nervous about approaching him because he's such a revered figure in the Watford afterlife. She's never even heard him speak. The man has such a presence, such an aura about him, that he doesn't need to use his voice. People understand what he wants. They feel it. Uh, hello, Mr. Holton, but, uh, um, Mr. Holton, sir. Um, do you have a moment? The big fella, an imposing, impeccably dressed figure, smiles at her. It's a warm invitation for her to sit down next to him. She takes a seat and tells him about Dave's problem and how she wants to make sure Dave's happy in his new afterlife. The big fella nods. He's understood. Then she explains her idea. She says she wants the big fella to befriend Dave, but to do it in disguise so that Dave becomes pals with his greatest hero without realising it. She watches the big fella silently weigh up the idea. She senses he needs to know a bit more about how this would work. What I'm thinking is, when Dave discovers who his new friend is, i.e. you, his all-time hero, but, uh, sir, he'll see the error of his ways. He'll see how appreciating your heroes as real people actually adds to your memories. And then he'll be able to enjoy himself in Hornet Heaven. The big fella ponders her idea. For a few seconds, she can't feel what he wants. Her heart starts to sink and she scolds herself that it was always going to be too much to ask a legend like Cliff Holton to go out of his way to help a fan like Dave. Then, Cliff Holton nods and Daisy knows he'll help. She smiles. She watches him hold out an upturned palm to Skilly Williams. Skilly instantly gets why. He takes off his huge flat goalkeeper's cap and puts it in the big fella's palm. The big fella puts Skilly's hat on. And now Daisy Meriden watches with a huge grin as the great Cliff Holton, in disguise, gets up and heads off to help out a Watford fan in distress. Thank you very much, Bay, uh, sir. The big fella, tall and broad-shouldered, walks down the slope of Occupation Road from the atrium. When he sees the man who's standing outside the ancient turnstiles, with his eyes closed, he gently taps the man's shoulder. When the man opens his eyes, the big fella touches the brim of Skilly's cap in greeting. Oh, hello, mate, Dave says. Daisy sent you to keep me company, did she? That's good of you. My name's Dave. As a leader of men, the big fella lets his magnetism do all the work. He's a man of few words, or none. This is unlike, say, Troy Deeney. I like your cap, mate. The big fella is fully aware that Skilly's cap doesn't match his dapper dark suit, but he smiles a silent thank you. Then he gives Dave one of the two programmes he's brought with him. Which game are we going to? Oh, Hartley Pools United at home, October 1959. Great choice, a 7-2 win. I think Cliff Alton scores a hat-trick in this one, but then again, when didn't he? This is just great, mate. At the Hartlepool's game, under the Vicarage Road lights, Dave thoroughly enjoys the company of his new friend in the huge flat cap, even though, come to think of it, he's not sure he's actually heard the guy say a word. He feels totally at ease as they watch the football together. Occasionally, the guy points towards the pitch and Dave spots something he wouldn't otherwise have noticed, like Mickey Benning starting a run down the wing at the moment Cliff Holton drops deep to pick up the ball. 
The guy seems to know his football and Dave feels he's learning from him. And when Cliff Holton does complete a hat-trick, Dave's new mate isn't in raptures like the rest of the crowd. He looks pleased under the cap, but he's as even-keeled as Cliff himself out there on the pitch. Dave is impressed with the guy's composure and assurance. Throughout the game, Dave chats away. He feels heard by his new friend, which encourages him to open up. Soon, he gets talking about his policy of never meeting his heroes. I'll give you an example, mate. You know Skilly Williams, the old Watford goalkeeper from, like, the 1920s? Actually, funnily enough, in the photos I've seen, he used to wear a hat like yours. Dave's new friend smiles and nods. Well, after he retired, he drove the bus that went down my road when I was little, the 302. All the other kids used to hang around at the bus stop so they could wave to him, but I didn't. I didn't want to see how far the mighty had fallen. I mean, the great Skilly Williams, driving a bus. What a come down. Cliff Alton was nearly as bad. He went into precision tool engineering or something completely boring like that. Just for a moment, Dave gets a sense that what he's said hasn't gone down so well. But overall, he feels he's made a really good connection with his new pal. When the Hartlepool's game finishes, the big fella takes Dave to several more games from the 1959-60 season. By the time they go to the 4-2 home win over Chester on Good Friday, the big fella feels that his part in Daisy's plan is going well. Dave still hasn't recognised him and obviously likes him. This matters to the big fella because he has his own saying, always meet your fans and never disappoint. He tries to lead his afterlife by this motto. It's not because he's seeking approval or acclaim, let alone the full-on worship he gets. It's because he believes heroes have a duty of care not to spoil supporters' memories. This is why he's perfectly happy to be unidentifiable beneath a huge hat today and stay that way until Daisy judges the moment is right for him to reveal himself. It's also why he chooses not to speak. He isn't arrogant or aloof. It's simply a good way of making sure he won't say the wrong thing. The big fella glances at Dave to check he's enjoying the Chester game. Dave is loving it. Everything's good. But then, things change. Shortly after the 1960 version of Cliff Holton completes yet another hat-trick, the big fella hears Dave say, You know, I did nearly meet Cliff Holton once. I wrote to the club, inviting him to my 10th birthday party. The big fella frowns. He doesn't remember ever receiving an invitation to a kid's birthday. Cliff never replied. He never turned up. The big fella is rattled by this, though he tries not to convey it. This is the first he's heard that years ago he unwittingly broke his principle and disappointed a fan. I mean, it was all pretty stupid because the party was an outing to a home game which Cliff was always going to be playing in. But like the naive kid I was, I promised my friends he'd be coming. The big fella's not feeling in command of the situation. He's in shock. He tugs Skilly's cap further down over his brow in the hope he won't transmit his anxiety to Dave. 16th of April, 1960 it was. The day after the game, we're watching now. There were two home games in two days because of Easter. We were at home to Gateshead. I was so disappointed when he didn't show up. The big fella is stunned at what this might mean. Was he personally responsible for a childhood trauma that led to Dave avoiding footballers for the rest of his life? Did he cause Dave's problem? Now the big fella is starting to feel hot and flustered and Skilly's cap feels far too tight. He knows it would be completely the wrong moment to have his true identity discovered, but while Dave is watching the action on the pitch, the big fella decides to take the chance to lift the cap off. 
he needs to cool down. Dave carries on. But I reckon it probably would have been more disappointing if Cliff had turned up. I'm sure he would have said or done something that made me think he wasn't perfect. The big fella fans his face with the cap. But then he sees Dave turning back towards him. I mean, Cliff was the absolute best ever. The big fella pulls Skilly's cap back on just in time. Dave faces him and says, I just hope I never meet him. Not long later, the big fella is striding purposefully down the slope of Occupation Road towards the ancient turnstiles. He's been to the atrium to collect two more programmes. He knows he can't have received Dave's birthday party invitation because he never ignored letters from fans when he was a player. He knew how much boys looked up to him and always made a point of trying to delight and inspire them. It was a point of principle. Always meet your fans and never disappoint. The invitation must have got lost somehow. Otherwise he would have replied with a personally written letter at the very least and probably a signed photograph too. He feels bad. What happened shouldn't have happened. But he's also realised that this is a chance to put the second part of Daisy's plan into action. At the turnstiles, he hands Dave one of the programmes he's brought. Oh, right. Gate said at home. Ha! <laughs> we'll be able to see my birthday party happening in the Shrodells. Dave follows his new friend to the southwest corner of the ground. The guy in the cap leads him around the bend from the rookery and up the banking towards the Shrodells stand. Dave says, <laughs> I was only joking about going to see my party. Don't you want to watch the football? Cliff Holton is about to score his second hat-trick in two days. Good job he wasn't sitting in the stand with a bunch of kids. They go along the path behind the wooden stand and in through the entrance at the top. Straight away, Dave sees his ten-year-old self standing up in the back row with four or five other boys of the same age. Wow! Amazing! That's me! There I am. Dave points the group out to his new mate, but then he pays attention to what's going on at the party. He'd forgotten this bit. The birthday boy is being jeered and taunted by his friends because Cliff Holton is leading the Watford team out onto the pitch instead of being a guest at the party. Blimey, that wasn't fun though. Dave watches as the ten-year-old version of himself slumps down into his seat with hot tears streaming down his young cheeks. Only now does he remember how the intense pain of humiliation radiated through him that day. But suddenly he notices something else is happening. His new friend from Ornit Evan has gone over to join the group. What's he up to? And now the guy in the cap is sitting down next to the crying birthday boy. Dave frowns. He really likes his new pal. He's an awesome bloke to watch football with. But this is a bit odd. What are you? I don't get what you're doing. Now his mate lifts off the flat cap. Underneath is a crop of thick, dark hair. The same crop of thick, dark hair Dave's seen today on the man who's been thumping goal after goal in old Watford matches. Dave realises he's looking at the face he once drew and put on his bedroom wall. Wait? What? Dave stares at the big fella and finally feels the full presence of a man with such a commanding aura that he doesn't need to speak. Oh my God. I'm sorry I'm late, Dave. It's you. Oh my God. Your invitation never reached me in 1960. I don't know why. Cliff Holton. <laughs> I can't believe it. I wish I could have come to spend some time with you and your friends on the day itself. But I'm here now. 
Cliff Alton. At my party. Dave feels light-headed. He feels overwhelmed. With surprise. With awe. With delight. With gratitude. But mostly, again, with love. I don't have to be anywhere for a while, Dave. Do you mind if we sit and talk? So I can get to know you better. Dave finds himself saying he doesn't mind at all. Even though he's meeting his all-time greatest Watford hero. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be amazing. Because what has just happened is the total opposite of a disappointment. The next day in the gallery restaurant, fans and former players are mixing happily. Dave is sitting in a booth with the big fella and Daisy Meriden. Daisy asks him, So Dave, do you reckon you're going to be alright in Hornet Heaven now, babes? Dave looks around the booth at the other men sitting with them. Dennis Uphill, George Catlow, Freddie Bunce and Bobby Bell, all from the famous 1959-60 team. Dave says, Who'd have thought discovering how wrong I've been all my life would feel so good? Since yesterday, Dave has met dozens more former Watford players, all without disappointment. He's met Johnny Allgood, the renowned England captain who became Watford's first player manager and made the team invincible in his first season. He's met George Badnock, who played in Johnny Allgood's team and went on to lose his life in the trenches in the First World War, making him more than just a footballing hero. He's even come round to Harry Barton, who's in the next booth along. <laughs> Did I tell you about the time Bertie Banks was summoned to a club committee meeting? <laughs> the chairman, the man we all know up here as the alderman, urged Bertie, for his own sake to abstain in future from any liberal takings of intoxicants. <laughs> it was in the minutes of the meeting. Liberal takings of intoxicants. That's what Bertie and me used to call breakfast. <laughs> Meanwhile, as Dave chats happily to players he idolised as a boy, Daisy quietly thanks the big fella for carrying out her plan so successfully. The big fella smiles, but she senses a slight reticence behind it. So she reassures him that what he did for Dave was important. For years, Daisy tells the big fella, Dave was trying to protect his love for Watford players by idolising them from afar. He treated them as abstract constructs, as unrealistic fantasies, not as actual human individuals. But from now on, he won't be holding anyone to impossible standards. He set his heroes free, and he'll love spending his afterlife with them. The big fella nods at what she's saying, but he does seem a little different today, Daisy thinks. Then the big fella leans in and whispers to her, Dave and I have both learned something. When you make yourself open to others, you end up with friendships you couldn't have imagined. Daisy can't prevent a gasp. She's amazed and feels honoured that the big fella has spoken to her. And when you acknowledge and accept everyone's foibles and flaws, including your own, 
those friendships are even better. I think you're right, babes, Daisy says. She's suddenly distracted by someone arriving in the booth. It's Henry Grover. The father of the club sits down next to Dave and immediately proves the big fella right about foibles and flaws. Lovely to meet you, Dave, old sausage. I'm Henry Grover. Do you like my teddy boy drapes? Sumptuous, aren't they? And look at my duck's ass. Isn't it fabulous? The End Never Meet Your Heroes was written and produced by Ollie Wicken. It was read by Colin Mace. For more information on the Hornet Heaven stories, please visit hornetheaven.com. Thank you for listening.